This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. It's really hard to overstate these days how wacky the woke are getting. Drunk with power after the Trump administration ended with a Biden victory. Drunk with power culturally uh, in a corporate sense, in an economic sense. And we have our work to do, friends. This is about the culture which will determine our politics. We can sit around and fight about the debt and the deficit all day long. But at the end of the day, if the left controls the minds of millions, particularly of the young, which is why they want to brainwash kids in school so badly, they can get whatever they want politically. It's just a question of how long they have to wait for it. This is why the progressives are experts at incrementalism something that we have to understand and learn to effectively counter. But even with all the craziness going on from the Democrats in terms of spending and economic regulation these days, there's going to be a surge in the stock market, according to my friends at Carnivore Trading. I know could be a surprise to you, but there are some key indicators that Carnivore Trading has picked up on, and they think some of the biggest profits are going to come in sectors that a lot of Wall Street experts miss. You see, Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. You can mirror their trades with your discount broker or pass. But why would you pass when their trades routinely crush the S&P 500? And they guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. Five X your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades. The market looks to be on the verge of a massive upswing. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com. That's right, GetOurTrades.com. Make sure you use promo code BUCK. Just go to this website, GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance is not a guarantee of future earnings. A Wisconsin dairy farmer who has two prosthetic legs is suing... The Biden administration over what he claims is a racist covid relief plan that disqualifies him because he's white. Man's name is Adam Faust. He filed a federal suit in Green Bay, Wisconsin last week. And what's at the center of this is a Biden covid-19 stimulus package fund that gives loan forgiveness. But. Only non-white farmers are eligible. Okay, let's just let's look at this with very clear eyes and let's stick to the facts because it could not be more obvious that this is racial discrimination. It is not possible to have equal protection under the law when your skin color is used against you when it comes to access for federal funds, when that is the only disqualifying factor. We, we are going down to the, the foundations of our legal system here. We're going down to the most basic constitutional uh, promises and protections, and we have to see it as such. And the, the woke left, the Democrat Party, seeks to violate them seeks to fundamentally transform American society. And that's what this goes to. All right. He this dairy farmer has a herd of uh, 140 Holsteins on his family farm in Chilton, Wisconsin. 
And there's a $4 billion program in the COVID-19 stimulus plan that is supposed to give loan forgiveness to farmers. Now, now this guy, uh, Faust, has had more than a share of, of issues and challenges. I mean, he's disabled. So not only is he, is he a, a guy who's white, therefore doesn't qualify, but he does actually get some legal benefit, generally speaking. You know, he'd be covered on the Americans with Disability Act. But see, disability is not a discriminatory fact. Or it's not a discriminatory um, issue of the law because that's applicable across all racial and ethnic categories, right? If you're in a wheelchair, doesn't matter what gender or gender identity or race you are, you get, you know, uh, handicapped access, for example, right? You have, you have different, uh, some different legal provisions that come into effect. But that's not enough. The fact this guy has two prosthetic legs, one because of an accident, uh, one because he lost one leg in an accident, one leg to diabetes. So he walks on prosthetic legs. He's trying to keep his farm going. He's been through a terrible time with covid, as so many other farmers have. And he wants government support. He wants help. And our government is saying, sorry, farmer, you're white. Sure, you don't have legs. Sure, you're dealing with disability and have had major challenges because of covid and there's money set aside specifically to help farmers like you, except not like you because you're white. This is basic, straightforward, red letter, right in your face, racial discrimination. Now, they can try what they always do. They'll say, oh, it's a holistic and the balancing of history. No. No, it's time we draw a line on this stuff. It's time we say enough is enough. Now, there are woke judges. There are progressive activists sitting on the federal bench. A lot of them, especially after the Obama administration, and they're going to be more now because of Joe Biden and the puppeteers around him who tell him what to do. There are going to be a lot of these judges, and they don't care what the law is. They think they're creating a utopian society. They think they're creating a better America. Um, but remember that in order to get there, they're willing to break some of the most fundamental legal and and moral uh, protections that we have in our society. This is just as clear as it can be. The government can't say we're not giving you aid money, even though you really need it. The guy's disabled and he's a farmer. We're not giving you aid money. We're only giving it to Asian, Hispanic or black farmers. That is the official position of the Biden administration. Now, you could say, well, this is just one case, but it's not actually. I mean, it's federal policy, so it really matters. It involves billions of dollars, so it's not a small issue. Four billion dollars might not seem like much when they're throwing around trillions like they're nothing. But in the, in the normal world, in the world where math matters, four billion dollars is a lot of money. But what you're seeing here is that the left is trying to get is trying to go as far as it possibly can. They're drunk with power. They want to see what they can get away with. Conservatism right now is in some level of disarray. We don't have the effective pushback that we should. And so what we're seeing is the weaponization of progressivism and, and political correctness I mean, they are pushing this further than they ever have before. I mean, if you're a white chef now who makes uh, burritos in Portland, Oregon, 
you will get death threats and have to shut down your business if the woke finds out about you because of cultural appropriation. That actually happened. You can look up uh, Kooks Burritos in Portland. Actually, no, you can't. It's gone forever. Thanks to a woke mob. That's right. White guy cannot make a burrito. Not allowed, according to the left. So just understand that the Biden administration policy about the white farmer being denied funds is being this is being replicated all throughout our society now. There are all these different ways that that whiteness is being singled out and legally punished. And yes, you'd say, but why are all these white progressives pushing for this? Because they view this as creating a coalition of non-white voters that will propel the progressive left into power. So they're willing to sacrifice principles. They're willing to sacrifice constitutional protection all in the pursuit of of total political power. So this is a bargain that they're happy to make, and it doesn't affect them. So much of what happens with progressives is, yeah, you know, I don't care about higher taxes. You find out, well, that rich, you know, that Pelosi, that Schumer, that rich individual isn't going to pay the higher taxes. Got got tax attorneys, all kinds of people to take care of that stuff. Um, No, the woke left believes that we are in a country where there's so much white supremacy that uh, chefs... Can't white chefs can't make pad thai or curry or bibimbap without fear of being canceled. This is utter madness. Okay, and you look at other things that have gotten the left uh, upset recently, and you know I, I think I mentioned this to you. Snow White, the the Snow White rot. Now the name you might think the name would be the problem. Oh, why why Snow White? It's white supremacy or something, right? Uh, No, the name isn't the issue. The problem with Snow White is that the handsome prince kisses her out of her slumber, which is technically non-consensual. And so when they reopened in Anaheim, California, a Disney ride that had the Snow White kiss moment shown on a screen, there were writers, I believe for the San Francisco Chronicle, who said that this was this was bad. Effectively, this is perpetuation of rape culture. You know, it's it's like the handsome prince roofied Snow White and then sexually assaulted her while she was passed out. I mean, that's the way the left sees things now. These people are deranged. But this is what happens when you're brainwashed. This is what happens when you no longer have any sense of perspective, anything that that grounds you, that anchors you to objective reality. Uh, There's so many more of these. There was. The decision recently by a federal court, this one was amazing, a federal court allowed the lawsuit of Kiran Bhattacharya to go forward against the University of Virginia for expelling him. What happened? Well, he was a UVA medical student back in 2018, and there was a panel discussion on microaggressions. Mr. Bhattacharya asked the assistant dean who was presenting this complete bullcrap about microaggressions, whether they only apply to marginalized groups, as in blacks and Hispanics, or to other minority groups as well, like Indian Americans. And you would think this is totally reasonable, right? Mr. Bhattacharya doesn't sound like he's somebody who who has white privilege, so he just wants to know what the rules are. His actual exchange that came up in the lawsuit. Yeah, follow-up question. How do you define marginalized And who is a marginalized group? Where does that go? I mean, it's very nonspecific. 
But he said this to the dean presenting this, who was a black female, and she was very, very upset. In fact, she had her colleagues reach out to him right after the panel, and they told Bhattacharya that his questions were antagonistic and aggressive. In fact, they were considered so, that question, considered so aggressive that the University of Virginia Medical School, or just the university in general, decided that he needed to attend anger counseling. That's right. They mandated he attend counseling as a condition of his continued enrollment. He refused. They, they gave him three hours notice, held some kind of tribunal, and kicked his butt out of the school. They even had campus police escort him off campus because he wrote on social media posts that he was innocent and that this was crazy. That was also deemed aggressive and threatening. This is an Indian medical school student who asked some questions of a black female dean at a very prestigious state school about microaggressions. And they responded by saying that he was having a clinical mental health crisis and needed to be escorted off campus and expelled. Just now, a few weeks ago, a federal court said, yeah, you can sue them for that. (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. So we haven't completely lost our minds as a society. yet. You can just go on and on and on. All these racial categorizations and the racial balancing and the identity politics, Marxism of the left. It doesn't make any sense when you actually look at it. It doesn't actually hold together. It's self-contradictory. It's absurd. It's wrong. It's immoral. But it is also a very good way to do a couple of things. It keeps people focused on the antagonisms between, you know, between uh, each other instead of at those in charge and the state. And therefore, it also allows for people who are the elites to get away with a whole lot and to continue to be in charge and to underperform and to always just say, well, here's an excuse. It's all just a misdirection, friends, but it undermines our country in very real ways. Do we stand up to it or do we let it to, uh, let it continue? That's the question of the moment right now. The president's view is that um, the major platforms uh, have a responsibility uh, related to the health and safety of all Americans uh, to stop amplifying untrustworthy content, disinformation and misinformation, especially related to COVID-19, vaccinations and elections. And we've seen that over the past several months. Broadly speaking, I'm not placing any blame on any individual or group. We've seen it from a number of sources. Uh, He also supports better privacy protections and a robust antitrust program. So his view is that there's more that needs to be done to ensure that this type of misinformation, disinformation, damaging, sometimes life-threatening information is not going out to the American public. You're saying more that needs to be done. Are there any concerns, though, about uh, First Amendment rights? And where does the White House draw the line on that? Well, look, I think we are, of course, a believer in First Amendment rights. I think what the decisions are that the social media platforms need to make is how they address the disinformation, misinformation, especially related to life-threatening issues like COVID-19 and vaccinations um, that continue to proliferate on their platforms. I mean, they're authoritarian censoring fascists. That's what the Democrats are. They like this. They have no problem with this. There's no there's no principle that they feel is violated by the social media companies shutting down speech that they don't like. I mean, I'm a perfect example of this. I said 
two months ago, wrote on BuckSexton.com. You can go check it out, uh, which I hope you're checking in on daily to see our, our news stories we're posting there. I said that masking up outside was was stupid as a policy matter. Mask mandates outdoors are dumb. And now every person with, you know, the CDC guidance actually has said, as has been pointed out to me, that it's really not necessary to wear a mask outside, even if you're not vaccinated. That seems to be getting lost right now, but that is part of the guidance as well. Uh, at least that's what my friend Carol Markowitz, the New York Post, told me yesterday. I was surprised to hear it from her. Uh, but it is dumb to wear a mask outside. It always has been. But I was censored officially by social media. They they cut off. So a lot of you wouldn't have seen my posts for, for a week or so. And you wouldn't have seen things that were being shared by me or my uh, my team. And yeah. And and the, the White House is fine with that. They're fine with it. Oh, it's just a private company. Yeah, we regulate the you know what out of private companies in this country for a whole bunch of reasons. We regulate who they can hire, how they can fire, what they can pay, what they can do, what waste they can have. I mean, we we have regulations all over the place. But but on this on this, on, on political neutrality or, or common carrier legislation. No, no, no. Now, all of a sudden, the Democrats are steely-eyed capitalists. I mean, they're such frauds. It's so obvious what's going on here. But they're terrified of what happens if Trump and the MAGA movement gets back online in a real way. They've had this period of, of uh, real supremacy on the Internet now for months. I, I can't say what I really think about masks. Dumb and dumb and useless 90 percent, 95 percent of the time. I can't say that on online or I'll get in trouble. They'll ban me. And you say, oh, well, you know, too bad. I said, well, yeah, but guess what? Th- then they just amplify the voices of the CNN hacks and morons who are out there running propaganda. So we lose. So if, if our conservative voices are getting banned, if conservatives can't have platforms, we lose. It's not just like, oh, the free market will take care of this. No, maybe in 50 years, but in the short run, we're done. And this is why the White House, you'll see this, the Democrats, they try to be quiet about it, but they're terrified. The notion of what happens when the uh, if the Internet becomes a place of free, uh, free exchange of ideas. You know, if you if you had written um, 14, 15 months ago that masks were essential Based on the rules that we're, we're told to live under now, you would have been censored because Fauci said that wasn't true. That was wrong. That was misinformation. Isn't it fascinating? These Democrats, these smug, sanctimonious, self-righteous Democrats really think that they know what misinformation is. Just remember this. Whenever you hear these lectures from these idiots like Jen Psaki, not a single journalist or politician was ever kicked off Facebook for trying to negate the results of the 2016 election with four years of absurd, reckless, obvious Russia collusion lies. So in case you are wondering about the ethics of our Internet overlords or their partners in the Democrat Party, we know exactly what's going on. We see them. We understand this. And I just, you know, the the problem I have, I've said this before, liberal billionaires... They wanted they want to change society. They want to change the world. They'll blow huge amounts of money to to create their vision of America. Conservative billionaires. What's my ROI? Oh, I don't want I don't want to own that media company or I don't want to build that media platform. What's my ROI? 
one of the reasons we lose. The left cares more. Left-wing billionaires, I'm just telling you, they ju- they're more invested in this. R- you know, right-wing conservative billionaires just want to make money and be left alone. Lib billionaires, the kind of because that's what you need to win this fight, folks. You need deep pockets. Lib billionaires, nah, they're they're looking to change the world. And that's what's happening. The biggest enemy of free speech in America today is big tech. It's just the truth. They suckered us. They swindled the public, at least the public that doesn't agree with their politics. Oh, they, they were just interested in money. They were just interested in being the most successful platform and, and being places for free speech. That's a lie. They are now the greatest, most powerful purveyors of leftist orthodoxy in the world. CNN, the New York Times, can't hold a candle to what Facebook and Google and Twitter can do. Not even close. So this this fight is essential. And I know a lot of you aren't on some of those platforms or you, you don't engage in social media. Unfortunately, your children do. And their children will. And there's a greater impact on perception from this than, than anything else. So, look, it's it's going to be an uphill fight against big tech. That's for sure. And whenever you can, I do want you to use just technology in general to your advantage. You know, small businesses have had a really tough time over COVID's uh, period here. But going forward, I think that you're going to see a real renaissance for small business, especially as they get local support, as people realize buying and supporting uh, buying from and supporting small businesses all across the country is, is essential. But when you're running a business, HR issues can kill you. I mean, you've got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. There must be a reckoning by the tech companies for the role that they play in undermining the information ecosystem Uh, that is absolutely essential for the functioning of any democracy. If you get to a point, and we are, if not there, very close to it, where you cannot have agreement on facts, on evidence, on truth, how does a democracy make decisions? And what we've got in the tech world on social media platforms is an algorithm-driven conspiracy rabbit hole that people are enticed to go down and then addicted because it is like watching constant car crashes. You cannot turn away. And as someone who has been accused of practically everything you could possibly imagine, I know how powerful this is. I mean, outrageous falsehoods, which fuel a sense of alienation. (laughs) Hello? She's back. Every time you think you're free of her, she comes back. Now, Hillary does have some real firsthand knowledge about technology and what it can do for you and how you could say 
violate the Espionage Act using technology over 100 times and then not face criminal prosecution because James Comey is your little errand boy at the FBI making sure that he's going to have a nice, cozy relationship with the person that he assumes is going to be the next president of the United States, and he's a narcissistic egomaniac, so he makes sure that there can't be prosecution of Hillary by giving some bizarre, completely... um, unwarranted speech about how no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. So, yeah, Hillary certainly knows a thing or two about the misuse of technology. But on a, on a broader level, I, I want to say that the Democrats, this is a, a tactic that they do, that they use. Uh, and it's they take the exact opposite. They, they take the exact opposite approach. They come to the polar opposite conclusion of what a reasonable person would under the circumstances, right? So we see big tech banning a former president, the most recent president of the United States before the current administration has been effectively depersoned on the Internet. That's a big deal. This, this matters. This is not a little thing. He could run again. He could be president again. And if that were to happen, I certainly hope that when people like me are saying, gut big tech, go after them, regulate the you know what out of them, lock it down, get it done. I don't know if people saying he fights, Buck, leave him alone. He's doing a great job. I want him to do a great job. I wanted him to do a great job when he was in office. It was good. It could have been better. And it would have been a little bit better if there had been stronger voices around him and getting to him to follow through on some of his promises. What, he didn't know about the problems of big tech when he started? But, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of Goldman Sachs uh, advisors around him, a lot, of, a lot of swamp, a lot of celebrity apprentice and his kids. His personnel choices, I don't, like, don't get mad at me. I, I'm telling you the truth because I like you, because I respect you, because you're my peers. OK, I that's what I do. I don't sit around, you know, oh, I'm pandering all the time. Ugh, God, it's unbelievable. Um, I I'm just trying to get to the truth here of what happened and what is happening. And it gets it gets very frustrating because I understand that people can feel like their country is slipping away from them right now. I understand people see the future and it feels a little bit bleak. But it doesn't get better if I just sit here throwing a MAGA hat on saying, everything's great. He's going to come. He's got a plan. He's coming back. It's all going to. No, no, we are in the fight now. We're on defense. So can we can we strategize? We are on. We're under siege. We're not the ones, you know, lobbing the cannonballs into the fort. We're in the fort. So what do we do? That's the question of the moment. That's how we have to be viewing this and trying to come up with the best path forward is not disloyalty to Trumpism or the GOP or MAGA. It's I want us to win. I want us to win hearts and minds and I want us to win political power and I want us to stop this. Stop this utter madness. But the the exact wrong conclusion. So I I got diverted for a moment here. The exact wrong conclusion that the Democrats take. Well, it's right in their minds because it goes to their power. But it's not that big tech shouldn't be censoring, you see. It's that it doesn't censor enough. 
They don't they're not even allowing us to try to pull it back to the center from where it is. They're going even further in the other direction, pulling even harder toward true authoritarian online America. That's the way they want this to be. Oh, you think that you make a joke about Nancy Pelosi? You say Nancy Pelosi uh, looks drunk. Oh, not allowed to do that. Remember when somebody made a video of Nancy Pelosi and CNN, some random guy and CNN went and found him and and threatened him and doxed him. Don't ever forget this. I, I know it may may seem a little trite, but it's so true. You have to laugh at these people. That doesn't mean you don't take them seriously, but you have to laugh at them, too. Make the joke you want to make about them, even if someone around you might take offense to it. All right. Because. I mean, Mark Twain once wrote against the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. It is so true about the woke left. That's why they have no sense of humor about anything, because at some level. They're so insecure about some of their most deeply held beliefs. At some level, they're just they're they're terrified of having to face the reality of what they think is essential is actually untrue. What they think is critical is absurd. So that's a a, a weapon you should always keep in your arsenal. Make fun of these absurd, absurd libs, however you can, whenever you can. But yeah, they're saying that they're, they're not censoring enough on Facebook. That really is their approach. That's really their belief. And that is meant to throw you off balance. How can they feel that way when we're saying that there should be so much less censorship? Well, because it benefits them, obviously. Think about the effect that this has had. We don't even know what the big tech companies were doing before they booted uh, Trump off the Internet. You don't think that they were assisting those campaigns and, and privileging their their fundraising efforts, their news sources and information with the with changes in the algorithm? Oh, sure. We hear all the time about Russia disinformation. That's just all crying, because even with all the built in advantages the Democrats had, they still lost to Trump in 2016. I mean, the fact that they think that. There should be there should be this crackdown on what they call covid misinformation. And and that there's people should face consequences online. Fauci's a moron. Lockdowns didn't work. Mass mandates were utterly pointless based on all the data you can show in this country. But they still feel righteous and blocking people, banning, suspending people who point that out. Um, I was right. And I'm just some guy who does a radio show. Fauci was wrong time and time again. Do I ever get an apology from the Facebook censors? Do I get a, hey, you know, we're sorry about all those times that we shut down your ability to use our platform. I mean, there, there is some level of agreement here, right? It's kind of like, yeah, at a job, you can be an at-will employee, but they can't just, I mean, the guy, if the guy comes in and fires you because didn't like the color tie you were wearing one day, it's wrongful termination. I mean, there, there's some agreements that are implied by companies operating and, and serving the public and social media, social media companies have turned into the enemy. They're the enemy. And you'll say, well, Buck, why do I still use them? Um, if I were fighting 
against, I, was, I don't want to say the Taliban, make this too real. If I were, you know, fighting against the invading barbarian horde, I'm, I'm the consul in, in ancient Rome. I'm fighting against an invading barbarian horde. Uh, I'm going to take their axes and swords that I capture and arm my people with them and use them. So, yes, I'm going to keep using every social media platform I can as long as I can, because I, I do worry. I think eventually they're going to they're going to push me off because I refused on COVID. And for those of you who supported me on this all along, I really appreciate it. I refused to bend the knee. I would not break on this issue. I would not abandon what I truly believed and what I knew from the research that I was doing all along. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get a, a sorry in time soon. Oh, and, and if you really just, just one more bit here of, if you really need to know how important this is to them, the slimiest, I mean, the most unctuous, disgusting, disingenuous, dishonest, I mean, the, in some ways, the worst member of the United States Congress, really. Adam Schiff, slimy Schiff, the worst kind of lawyer, the worst kind of prosecutor. This guy's disgraceful. He really wants to make sure that Trump can't get back on Facebook. Play seven. Is Facebook violating Donald Trump's constitutional right to free speech? No, the First Amendment protects uh, Donald Trump and every American from the government regulating speech. It doesn't say that private companies need to use their platforms to air patent falsehoods that endanger the country, that incite uh, insurrection. Uh, and so, no, I think Facebook is trying to have a consistent policy. Uh, at least its oversight board is trying to make sure that it is consistent in how it treats people. Um, I, the, the president here is continuing to go out and push the big lie about the election, continuing, I think, to to endanger our democracy by doing that. And so he continues to make the case uh, that he would violate the policies if they readmitted him. Uh, and I think, frankly, pathologically, he's incapable of changing so this is a temporary ban. It will likely be, uh, if we're fortunate, a permanent ban, because the president is not going to stop the lies about the last election or lies about the next one. He will incite people uh, if that's what's necessary to suit his narrow personal interests. And that should violate uh, any good corporate citizens policies. Yeah, this is about raw power. Democrats have no principles, as you know, they just have the pursuit of power and they fold their principles into that in whatever way they have to, whenever they have to. Uh, they don't care about free speech as a concept or as a principle at all. And Adam Schiff is a disgusting fraud on so many levels. But I hope Republicans remember this. Once we get back into power, it's going to be very hard. They're going to be people who fight it. The big tech companies, they have a lot of money to throw around. They have board seats. They have, they have consulting deals. They have so much money. They'll be able to buy a lot of people off, but I don't think they'll buy Trump off. I don't think they'll be able to buy off Ron DeSantis either. And I just hope that we all remember big tech is the enemy of constitutionalism, conservatism, free speech, and freedom in general in this country now. All right, It's like we've imported a portion of communist China into this country to run our communications for the benefit of the statist authoritarian party. 
I mean, the decision is is very clear insofar as, uh, you know, the board has found that the suspension of uh, former President Trump was necessary to keep people safe, um, that the actions of the former president encouraged and legitimized violence and, and constituted uh, what the board has termed a severe violation of the Facebook rules. That means every Democrat politician in the country that you can think of has also legitimized violence through its support of BLM, which has engaged in countless riots in little mini insurrections in cities all over the country and has resulted in actually murdering people, has resulted in murdering police, which the January 6th riot did not. The only person killed by the acts of individuals that day was Ashley Babbitt, killed by a Capitol Hill police officer, shot in the neck through a locked door. This is the uh, you want to talk talk about the big lie here. The big lie is that only Trump statements drive some people to riot. It's, It's only Trump who says things that aren't true. And then people, you know, break the law. Democrats ran around pretending that the president of the United States was a white nationalist for four years. And and then a movement got underway after George Floyd, really the rebirth of a movement that resulted in hundreds of riots, lots of people killed, the whole thing. It was awful, awful. But that's not, there's no violence attached to that. So you can't say you think the election was stolen, but you can say, this is social media land now, you can say, that cops are racist murderers who get away with killing black men all the time and it's part of the system and that's no and it's, and it's just happening constantly that's a lie but it's spread by BLM it's spread all over by democrats who pander and no one does anything about it that's fine you can say that there's no there's no problem with saying cops are racist murderers, even though that's resulted in not only riots, but also some cops being assassinated. I can name some of them for you if you want to know their names. Ramos and Lou here in New York City, the NYPD, five officers from the Dallas Police Department. That was BLM. It was under the Obama administration, but those were BLM assassinations that occurred. Yeah, you could say, oh, they were, there's no structure of BLM. No. Tell that to all the people marching around that are yelling BLM slogans. But one group is allowed, the other is not. One side's political violence is a threat to democracy. The other side, the Democrat side, much more frequent, much more common political violence is an expression of legitimate grievances about racial inequity. You know, just use all this language to massage what's going on here to make it seem like it's not appalling because it is. This is where we are. This is what we see in our society. We have lies, lies and more lies to deal with. And the people in charge, it's it's not even clear anymore. They know what the truth is. It's certainly clear they don't care. But I'm worried that they've started to really believe their nonsense. I think that they've started to think that the 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 narratives that they're always pushing on the public might actually be true because they've convinced enough easily misled Americans of them in the first place. But as I've told you, these social media companies, they are the new mainstream media and they are more powerful than the old cable channels and newspapers ever were. They are running addiction machines 
that are changing Americans' perception about the world around them every second of every day. I'll never forget the first time I had to think about preparing for the future. It's when one of my colleagues, the CIA, said, you know, you're going to a war zone and you need to put your affairs in order. And I was in my 20s. I didn't think I needed to do that, but I did. You know, these are some of the things you just have to do, whether you're at that stage where you're having babies, buying a home, starting to build wealth for your family. You need to secure your family's future. At the top of a to-do list for you needs to be a will or trust. And you can do this at trustandwill.com. At trustedwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, it's convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your home. Hiring a traditional estate attorney can cost thousands, and using a one-size-fits-all template is not nearly specialized enough. Trust and Will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. This is what you need to do right now, all right? Just go to trustandwill.com slash buck, and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. That's trustandwill.com slash buck, and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized printed out legal documents that you'll have in your possession. Don't wait. Go right now. This is important. Just get this taken care of. It's quick. It's easy. The Trust and Will website makes it all so straightforward. They've got a quick quiz you'll fill out, and it'll all be tailored to your needs. Trustandwill.com slash buck. I think that we saw last summer that there were outbreaks in summer camps and that kids um, had to go home. They had to um, to not attend these summer camps. We're trying to make it possible for these kids to be able to have as normal of a summer as possible. If people are playing tennis and they're they're far away, we can we can say that their masks can come off. But if they're crowded on a soccer field, they're on top of each other, they're heavily breathing. We don't really think that's a good idea right now. These are kids who likely will not be vaccinated. Well, okay. I mean, but doesn't the science say that you're so much less likely to pass it outside at this point? And, and doesn't the, the advantage of kids being able to do things, more things, doesn't that outweigh the very low risk? Um, so, you know, I think not all outside is is um, the same. So outside playing tennis, outside um, swimming, all of those things where you're far apart from one another. If you have a group of 10 year olds crowded trying to get over a soccer ball and they're all breathing heavily, I think you need to wear a mask because, yes, you mm-hmm. there's decreased um, infection risk outside. But if you're all breathing heavily on top of a singular soccer ball um, that has the potential and we've seen a lot of outbreaks associated with youth sports. I mean, this woman is the director of the CDC and she's a moron. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, I, I don't enjoy saying things like that, but it's true. She's an idiot. You're going to have kids running around in 90 degree heat in camps playing soccer with a mask on. I mean, or does she want she want kids to over? I, I just want to know how many how many kids need to overheat? How many kids need to be at risk of actually having some kind of a a serious adverse health incident from the mask they're wearing in 90 degree weather running outside uh, before the lockdown libs let it go stop being crazy she thinks it's a concession i play a lot of tennis you're really far from somebody outdoors when you're playing tennis all right you're usually probably 60 70 80 feet away from them easily Uh, outside She's like, well, in that situation, I guess you don't have to wear masks. 
It's, is that even a question? Well, yes, it is because the CDC is so stupid and so incompetent that their initial guy and, and so muddled as well in the guidance. But initially it was, yeah, all outdoor activities. You want kids to wear masks. Kids clear this thing. They are fine. OK, by the time we get into this summer, if someone has chosen not to get vaccinated, that's their choice. That's then on them. And they deal with the risks inherent in it. This is the only way we get back to a normal society, by the way. How many months do we have to have of free vaccines? Come and get them. Come and get them. And, you know, what are we promising? There's perfect safety from COVID. We'll never achieve that. But these are people that aren't leaders at the CDC. They're, they're not they're not coming up with brilliant ideas. How many times I really mean this. How many times has Walensky or Fauci said anything that you didn't already know? Never mind the things that they've said that were stupid or that you knew were, were made no sense. But how many times you say, wow, I really learned something from from this thing. They're basically like there's a virus. It spreads a lot. You know, there's a couple things that we think maybe kind of help, but we don't really know in terms of pre- preventing the spread. And yeah, there we go. That's it. <laughs> there's really nothing that they've come up with all along here. You know, it's so funny. I, I won't even get there's a kind of a, pro, a pretty prominent left wing thinker who who uh, we, we had a, a DM exchange a while ago. And I thought about going back and getting into that. This guy's a he's a left wing guy. I don't know how many of you would know him, whatever. He's very wealthy, too. And, and he's he was so surprised at me because I was making fun of the test and trace program and just basically saying test and trace is is moronic beyond words it's never going to work it's not going to do anything you can never do this on a level where you even get valuable data and he was just incredulous at this idea what do you mean we're going to know where the transmission's happening we're going to know the level of transmission this is critical to getting them and this is somebody who's mr he's kind of a tech bro and he's in a and I'm looking at the, I looked at this exchange again. I was looking for something else in the campaign. I just realized. So here's the uh, the super rich, data driven tech guy, and here's me, little old Mister Buck, having an exchange about whether this data will even be able to be acquired and whether it will be useful. And I was a hundred percent right, and he was a hundred percent wrong. And that was back in June of last year. It was almost exactly a year ago now. And there's part of me that wants to go in and say, "Hey, I'm just wondering, do you want to?" Uh, do you want to now just concede that when I said that a government bureaucracy to try to find everyone you've come into contact with who has COVID all across the country when there are hundreds of thousands of cases every single day? Do, do you want to do you want to maybe just say that I was able to reason through this instead of thinking the experts have some brilliant plan? They just want to. There's so many examples. I went back. I was looking into some of my messages. There's so many people that were just incredulous. They have this need. They just want to believe that there are these super geniuses somewhere who know exactly what to do. And if only we had all listened to them, everything would be fine. If only we had done what Fauci told us. And I'm sitting here saying, we did what that little Stalinist elf told us to do, and it didn't work. That's what actually happened. And people can keep fighting this, and they keep it didn't work. And they don't want to let it go. And they want to keep your kid masked up while he's running around, you know, playing football this summer. And it's just it's just madness. 
Oh, and while you're dancing, too, here's the mayor of D.C. Yes, D.C. has gone full footloose here. No dancing at weddings. Play one. Here's what's getting a lot of attention. Standing and dancing receptions are not allowed. What good is a wedding without dancing, Mayor? And why no dancing? <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of good to a wedding, like people starting off their, their lives together and doing it in a safe way uh, and not doing it in a way that puts themselves or their guests in danger. And let me be clear, uh, on May 1st, we were proud of our residents and businesses who made conditions in D.C. such that we can start opening up these facilities. An alternate headline may be, now you can host a wedding. Uh, in Washington, D.C., a regional meeting. Uh, you can have uh, your friends and family for a family reunion and birthday parties at our hotels and restaurants. And just like our restaurant guidelines suggest is that you have to be uh, seated to uh, enjoy the restaurant. You're supposed to be grateful, you see. You're supposed to be grateful that you now have the legal right to have a wedding in D.C. and shut up about the fact that you're not allowed to dance at your wedding. Be thankful for what they give you. That's the attitude. I mean, I just, I just want to know, you, you have all these people that are, are so weak and cowardly and so easily intimidated by the experts that they just believe all this. They go, you know, whatever we have to do, whatever we have to do, whatever Fauci says, and they just, it's, it's remarkable. And these people are terrifying. As I've said to you, they're like a Milgram experiment. If, if, Fauci, told, if Fauci told the people you see still walking outside with two masks that the way to cure COVID was to just continuously electrocute you and put you through excruciating pain, hey, Fauci says, gotta cure COVID, they would just sit there and press that button and fry you like an egg. You know it and I know it. And that's really unsettling about this country. That's unsettling to see so many of our fellow Americans who are that weak-willed, that incapable of thinking for themselves. There's Mayor Bowser again when asked, okay, well, what if, what if everybody at this wedding we're talking about, what if everyone is vaccinated right then that's does that mean we're all supposed to be okay play two mayor just just is there any way that you would reconsider with masks on and say a a, a card that shows fully vaccinated that you'd allow dancing we're absolutely considering opening more activity uh, as our case rates go down and our vaccination rates go up and that's in our hotels uh, and that's in our other venues yeah. Um, well, what about long dancing? <laughs> can, can we get an answer to the question? What about that? Can somebody tell us that? No, they won't. They will not. No interest. No interest in telling us that. Friends, this does not end until we make it end. They will continue to do this as much as they want, as long as they want. I, I wonder what it's going to take. It won't happen in blue areas because we're outnumbered and there's crazy Democrats. So I can't lead this charge in, in a place like New York. But, you know, in a place like Florida, if I were living down there, I'd say uh, we're just going to start start walking in places without masks on. OK, they can throw me out. Fine. But noncompliance at some point is just going to be the only way to get past this. I'm talking about vaccinated people now walking in. I'm not wearing a mask anymore. I'm vaccinated. I'm not going to do it. Nope. 
no, they won't. They won't relent. We're going to have to push back. That's where this is. They won't just let it go. They're crazy. These people have lost their minds. Thanks, Fauci, for ruining America and saving no one in the process. Amtrak Joe looks like he's gone off the rails. Oh, my. This one courtesy of the Daily Mail today. President Joe Biden's strange anecdote about reaching 1.5 million miles on Amtrak has come under scrutiny after key inconsistencies emerged that make it impossible to have occurred as he told it. On Friday, delivering a speech in Philadelphia commemorating the 50th anniversary of Amtrak, Biden launched into a tale of a certain conductor congratulating him on reaching the milestone as he traveled to visit his sick mother. Biden said the incident occurred in his fourth or fifth year as vice president around 2014-2015, at which time the conductor he named had been retired for 20 years and his mother passed away. On Thursday, White House Deputy Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked about the story on Air Force One as Biden flew to Louisiana. She said... The president's long history with Amtrak and appreciation for the hardworking employees is very well known. He was proud to come over and commemorate Amtrak's 50th anniversary just last Friday to highlight the need for jobs and investments, yada, yada, yada. Biden, who famously served in the Senate or served in the Senate for 36 years, famously commuted by Amtrak to Congress from his home in Wilmington, Delaware, racking up many miles on the train service. Um, so Joe Biden is full of crap <laughs> so that's now but this is the thing i i'm i'm fair i'm fair minded about stuff and so that's why i'll tell you right now we can't say we can't really know um whether uh whether joe biden is lying or is confused I mean, he's definitely not telling the truth, right? He's definitely not telling us what's actually happening. But he might be just confused because he's confused about a lot of things. There are a lot of areas of Joe Biden's past, a lot of a lot of stories I'm sure that he could tell. Um, yeah, that's that's where it is. That's where we are. We, we can't know whether Joe Biden is actively lying or whether the you know, the scrambled eggs uh, between his ears are just doing what they do sometimes. So and I just think it's kind of funny. Another Joe Biden BS story. How many Joe Biden BS stories are going to be out there? How many Joe Biden BS stories are we going to come across before we realize that this guy, he's just full of it? He is. Unbelievable, he's the president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, people say, oh, but Trump says, uh, yeah, Trump is a salesman. So much of the stuff that he said, I'm the greatest or the smartest or the best at this or whatever. We all, it's Trump being Trump. Biden just tells stories that aren't true, whether it's about the, you know, about corn pop and the, the kids touching the blonde hairs on my legs. Turn that way by the sun. You know, no joke. There I am. I'm swimming in the pool and. Doing backflips, you know, I was on the Olympic team. I was on the Olympic team for swimming, for shot put, for boxing, basketball, you know. It was good old Amtrak Joe. Did a lot of working out back then. 
And I said, Corn Pop, let's go, man. You and me, let's go. Let's let's have a brawl. And Corn Pop, and I did the whole thing. Lies, nonsense, total, total trash. This guy, it's amazing he's the president, but he is. All right, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, just switching gears here for a second, signed a voting rights bill to protect integrity. The left is flipping out about this. I got to tell you, Ron DeSantis running up the scoreboard. This is what I love to see. Ron DeSantis, it's not enough for this guy to just do some things well. Not enough for this guy to show us that good gov- that, that governance as a Republican can have a real change, can have real effect for folks. He is just going for it all the time. And I'm just loving what he's putting out there. Uh, Here's what this actually does. It increases trust in the election process and makes fraud more difficult. Why do Democrats fight against any effort to make fraud more difficult? The provision makes ballot drop boxes available to all Floridians, but restricts it to being open to during voting hours with an election worker present. Why is that a problem? Okay, you got a drop box, but they're just going to monitor the drop boxes just so everybody knows that it's on the, you know, that's safe. I'm sorry, does, does everybody really need to have 3 a.m. drop box availability too? I mean, this, this makes it easier to vote, but it also makes it safer for those ballots, for ballot integrity. It means that there will also be enforcement of voter ID laws. Oh, no, voter ID laws. Voter ID laws are legitimate. The Supreme Court has looked at this issue already. Voter ID laws are constitutional. But what are the what are the Democrats doing? Oh, that's right. They're saying it is voter suppression. Voter suppression. Unbelievable. They are constantly trotting this thing out. It enforces voter ID. It bans ballot harvesting. It increases election transparency. It prohibits private money from running elections. It's called in this DeSantis uh, graphic he put out, Zuckerbucks. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good law. Democrats hate that there are these efforts to make at the state level elections more transparent more secure because they their assumption is always that cheating in the aggregate benefits democrats if there's cheating if there's shady stuff going on democrats know that they're the ones who are going to get the most out of that they're the ones who are going to have the the biggest um you know biggest benefit from that so this is why they fight against it but also it goes to this narrative of how they They just want to talk about how Republicans are racist all the time. They just want to talk about how Republicans are doing voter suppression and this the talking points like what Biden says. It's Jim Crow 2.0 and all this stuff. Utter nonsense. But it works. I mean, it gets the Democrat base out there. It gets them, you know, voting uh, against Republicans because of the alleged voter suppression. It's a base turnout mechanism. Ugh. This is important, friends. If you were frustrated about what happened last election and some of the ways Democrats are playing fast and loose, uh, fast and loose with rules, we need to focus in on this issue. It was a huge error that the Trump campaign didn't drill down into this before the ballots were counted. Just telling you the truth. 
A lot of these members, uh, for example, on infrastructure, I think these uh, people in the Problem Solvers Caucus are going to put forward a real proposal, just like they did on COVID at the end of last year that became the basis of an agreement. I think they're going to try to do the same thing on infrastructure, and that could force the leadership, that could force their hand uh, to deal with a, a real compromise. Look, I realize it's a, it's, it's a stretch, but it is a possibility. And I completely agree with you about what you said about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. The fact that somehow Marjorie Taylor Greene wasn't dealt with forcefully I mean, they threw Steve King out of off committees as they should have for his, you know, incendiary Eventually. comments. Eventually, I mean, what's happening? He said mar- plenty of stuff. Yeah, but and they're they marginalizing. But they're marginalizing. What's, what's scary to me is that they're marginalizing rational, thoughtful members like Liz Cheney, uh, and instead of marginalizing, you know, the whack jobs. Hmm. That's the problem. You know, when Boehner was speaker right. and Ryan, they were pretty good about pushing out the uh, uh, the kooks and, and, and empowering the, the mainstream. I don't think we want to take advice about how to clean up the GOP from people who don't want to see the GOP succeed. So that's that's just one rule. Never, never take advice. Never take strategy from your enemy. Um, But uh, let's let's get to somebody who is an ally. Our friend Ned Ryan, who's the founder of American Majority. Ned, always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, no, good to be back with you, Buck. I'm amused by by some of the chatter coming out of. A very, very small handful of uh, people in D.C. I mean, even the talk of a, of, a, of a civil war is absurd and ridiculous when you only had 10 Republicans voting to impeach Trump out of over 200 Republicans in the House caucus. That's not a civil war, Buck. That's a few idiots who uh, don't seem to understand that America first and Donald Trump with 95 percent approval rating is the Republican Party. And they are the ones that are, in fact, out of step with the party uh, as a whole. It feels like Liz Cheney is getting a whole lot of attention right now, Ned, because the Democrats would much rather focus on the dissent within the GOP and to try to magnify this than actually let people pay attention to what the Biden administration is really trying to do. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a convenient distraction, which, of course, she's more than happy to do. I mean, this is the bizarre part, Buck, and, and Molly Hemingway and others have made this point. This isn't really just about the impeachment vote. Uh, that Liz Cheney, you know, had against Trump this is about the fact that she's number three in Republican leadership and is a terrible member of the House caucus leadership. She can't raise money. Uh, she's terrible at messaging. I don't know if you saw the Breitbart story the other day in which she basically wholesale took Biden talking points on immigration and then passed them off to the House caucus as though that was the, should be the message for the House uh, Republicans. And then on top of that, as number three in leadership, you're supposed to be actually advocating for and defending House Republicans' positions. All she's doing is going on MSNBC and CNN and undercutting and trying to be antagonistic towards members of the Republican House caucus. I mean, it's bizarre that she's even allowed was reelected back in January. I mean, this should have been she she should never have been reelected in January into House leadership. Uh, but you know, next best time is now, and I, and I hope that in the next week or two she is removed. Although I have to tell you. Uh, Stefanik is not exactly the Stefanik, however you pronounce her name, is, is not exactly an upgrade. I mean, I think she's kind of a sideways move, if that. I mean, she's voted maybe 66% with Trump. I think we could probably do a lot better in regards to getting a conservative uh, for number three in House leadership. How do you think the Republican minority in the House is doing 100 days into this Biden presidency? I mean, do you think, uh, I know that they can't pass legislation, but are I mean, they. Are they getting their 
side their message out effectively? Is it, you know, right now you've got Jen Psaki, for example, saying the Republican Party is spending a lot of blood, sweat and tears trying to figure out where they stand and what they stand for. You're getting all this. Republicans are just a party of no again. Right. That's what they're saying. Well, of course they are, because they're actually standing up and saying, listen, we, the American people did not vote for a wholesale reengineering mandate uh, in the fall in, in which Republicans gained House seats. It's a 50-50 tie with, with Harris being the, the tie-breaking vote in the Senate, and Biden essentially won the White House by 43,000 votes. So, of course, they're saying, hey, wait a minute. You're looking for the wholesale reengineering of America as though you had some massive mandate. That's not the case at all. But I do think you th- – Let's, let's be honest. Okay, when you're in the minority, there's not a lot of power. There have been a lot of these votes that have gone down straight party line. I get it. It doesn't help that you have this dissonance coming out of the House Republicans because you have Liz Cheney saying all this crazy stuff on MSNBC and CNN. And then you've got, But the other thing, Buck, that, that I think people need to be aware of is there really is kind of this hesitation by a lot of the more establishment, I would even say Kevin McCarthy being one of them, to fully embrace the America first agenda because you're seeing the corporate interest, the big donor class coming swooping in more of the establishment. And it's this weird dissonance that's taking place between kind of like, do we really want to embrace America first? It's a winning agenda. You should embrace it. My concern is, and I think we're going to get through this, that somehow we have to figure out how more America first types win their primaries, Republican primaries in the spring and, and summer of 2022 to give people a real motivation to get out and vote. Because I have to tell you right now, uh, simply putting Kevin McCarthy in as Speaker of the House is hardly a motivating factor for people like me. We have to have more America first candidates winning the primaries. And then we have to have a serious conversation about who are you going to then vote for for leadership because Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, seriously, we're going to keep on doing this? Absurd and ridiculous. Wait, what, why Why is Kevin McCarthy in leadership? To, to explain that one. We're speaking to Ned Ryan, who's the founder of American Majority. But, you know, Ned, I, I, I want to get down to some, like, brass tacks here. How, why is this guy in this position? Uh, partly because it almost feels like he's one of the last men standing, right? Paul Ryan didn't want to do it. And, and, and I'm not the biggest Paul Ryan fan. He didn't want to be speaker. And it was kind of like, oh, grudgingly, I'll do this. You know, and then it was almost like Kevin McCarthy was the last man standing. Uh, he is a good fundraiser, to give him credit. Uh, he's very good at the inner politics of the Republican caucus, which is some is a factor that cannot be dismissed. I mean, Buck, we can complain all we want to about House leadership. It is inside baseball, and people that know how to play that game can be successful, and he's good at it. But it doesn't mean that he's reflective of the party base. He's not reflective. I, I think he grudgingly and he's done some good things on TV, but I don't think he's wholesale and embraced America first. The fact of the matter is last man standing, good at raising money, good at the inner politics of the House caucus. That's why we have a Ke- Kevin McCarthy. But I think we need to have a conversation. Really, we're going to settle for this? Isn't there somebody better that we could actually have as Speaker of the House if we take the majority back in November of 2022? I, I would think we could, but we'll see. Ned, Trump released this uh, from the desk of Trump thing recently. It's it's kind of like a website where he'll put his official pronouncements. Hasn't gotten back on social media. But it's it, not the social media platform, though. I know. I, 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 that's what I'm going to ask you about. Is there more yeah. coming? Tell us. There's absolutely more coming. No, no, no. I, I know this for a fact, having had conversations last week with people that are intimately acquainted with what's going on. No, there's absolutely a social media platform being as we're speaking, being engineered, worked on, 
Um, there's somebody that was very close and very high up in the West Wing that's been in charge of, of oversight for that. So I would say I, I know how hard it is to build software, Buck, and something on the scale. But I would think based off, again, some knowledge, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's this year, beginning of next year, that they're able to pull off a social media platform. But no, it's absolutely in the works. And I was kind of surprised actually to see some of the responses to you know, it's, it's a blog, right? He, he's posting some of these updates, his press releases, all that stuff. But trust me, it has nothing to do with what the social media platform that they're being that that's being planned, that's being worked on, is being developed right now. That's going to be something entirely different. So it it sounds like right now, in a good way, is the quiet before the America First storm. I, th- I think so. I mean, I think you're going to see him. Uh, obviously come out and do rallies again. I mean, you, you, you and I have both seen that. I think probably people listening have seen the chatter. There are going to be rallies uh, this summer. I think you're going to start to see him really ramp up. Obviously very familiar with some of the people that are doing some of the endorsement process. Uh, they've already made some endorsements. I think they're looking at some of these close races. Uh, again, these Republicans like Liz Cheney that voted for impeachment. I think they're going to see how some of this shakes out through the summer. And then in the early fall, I think you're going to see some really key endorsements taking place in these these House races and maybe even some of the Senate races. So, yeah, no, I think you're going to see a ramp up through the summer and then, you know, rallies and all that and some really key endorsements, probably September, October. Speaking of Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority, you know, Ned, I, I, I spoke to a Congressman Brady yesterday, and I spoke to Congressman Biggs the week before that. And, and I'm always asking everybody that's that's, you know, in the House involved in this process. What do we have to there's the rhetoric and the, the, the cultural woke stuff that's going on all around us and the rhetoric from the politicians. And then there's what they can actually get done and do. You know, for example, when I talk about the border, the border's already effectively open. So whether they get amnesty or not doesn't even really matter right now. It's a it's an ongoing problem. We, we, every day the border is what it is. Uh, those of us who believe in a legal uh, immigration system and border security are losing. Right. So but that, that's already happening. Where do you see some of the the real risks in terms of legislation um, you know, from what from what I'm hearing from as a Congress, it sounds like the Democrats tax raises. They're going to get that. Right. They're going to do that through reconciliation if they have to infrastructure. They think they can get some Republicans to go along with some portion of it. What do you think? What are you hearing? Well, first of all, any Republican that would go along with this infrastructure bill is an idiot because it, it, a lot of it does not have to do with infrastructure. It's like, it was like their COVID or coronavirus relief package, from which about 9 or 10% actually had anything to do with coronavirus relief. You know, I don't think it's going to be as drastic with infrastructure, but there's going to be a lot of things that have absolutely nothing to do with infrastructure. So any Republican who votes for it um, truly is, is idiotic. Um, but again, that's, that's one of the problems, Buck. I mean, we really are in one of those places where the far left – has taken control of the Democratic Party. They're voting in lockstep. They have just barely enough votes, if you go straight party line, that they can ram through anything they want in the House. But again, what's causing pause is they can't get it through the Senate on some of this stuff because Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, which is, again, not a great place to be in when they're your backstop for these things. You know, they're, they're kind of, I mean, Manchin made it very clear he's not for this $4 trillion in extra spending. He's not for removing the legislative filibuster. So I think we obviously are going to see some damage. Uh, but as long as Manchin and Cinema are saying some of this stuff is absolutely insane, I don't think it will be nearly as damaging as it could be 
uh, if Democrats had another vote or two in the Senate. So, you know, obviously Biden's doing a lot of damage with his executive orders. And, you What's know, the most concerning thing, Ned, for you between now and the midterms that you think is on the Biden agenda? That's a that's a real a real threat that that would really be bad for America. Senate Resolution one. I mean, H.R. one was is a disaster. It's the codifying of corruption in regards to our election process. Right now, Manchin and, and Cinema has have said we're not going to vote for this. But if somehow one of them breaks down and they vote to codify the corruption and completely almost wholesale change the process by which American elections are run, that to me, everything else is kind of, of details, right? If you do this and, and they do everything that they did in 2020 plus some, I mean, they're going to be able to ram through anything they want in the future. Uh, it'll be one-party rule. Uh, they're, they're, I, it's clear to me, Buck, that they're tired of Republicans telling them no, but even more so they're tired of the American people telling them no. And they want to be in power for a generation or two or longer. So, I mean, if you ask me, I mean, this is the one thing where if we don't if, – if Manchin and Cinema don't stop this, you know, SR1 and the codifying of the corruption, boy, that's one of my biggest concerns right now. Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. Ned, I know you're, you're working on a book. When it's ready, you're going to come and tell us about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give people a little teaser. It's, it's called The Adversaries, and it's a story of Boston and Bunker Hill in the last nine months leading up to Bunker Hill. And it really is kind of fascinating, Buck. I'm, I'm obviously a huge fan and, and have studied a lot of early American Revolutionary War history and the Constitution and all these things. This is really a fascinating nine-month period from September of 1774 till June of 1775. And, you know, I, I'd originally started wanting to highlight somebody by the name of Dr. Joseph Warren, who I hope people will really come to know and appreciate. But it was kind of eerie to me, Buck, even knowing what I knew before I started doing this research how much history repeats itself and some of the issues they were dealing back with back then and what we're dealing with today. So I think people are going to really, really enjoy it. And um, I'm looking to hopefully release it June 17th, the uh, anniversary of Bunker Hill. You come on this show. We'll talk all about it, dude. We can we can do a whole hour for a podcast if you want. So you tell me when. Would, right, love, Ned? To. Would love to. All right, my man. Ned Ryan, everybody. Ned, thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. Well, the big picture of what Republicans are doing in Texas and what Republicans are doing all across the country is they are weaponizing Trump's big lie. They are trying to tilt the playing field towards Republicans, and they're trying to accomplish through legislation what they couldn't accomplish through litigation and intimidation in 2020. And so whether it's the effort to oust Liz Cheney or whether it's this crazy audit in Arizona or whether it's these voter suppression bills moving through states like Texas and Florida, they all have the same aim, which is to institutionalize the big lie that Trump told that the election was stolen and to make it harder for Democratic constituencies to vote in future elections. They never tell you what the actual problem is with any of these voter restriction laws you notice that they never actually get into why this is so evil and racist and unconstitutional all these other things they just make these assertions they just assert that republicans are doing something bad they assert that republicans don't want people to vote and they're still blaming blaming all this on trump Uh, there were very real questions and concerns about the way the last election was conducted that's a real thing that happened Um, if you look at pennsylvania the pennsylvania legislature was not 
consulted, basically, the Pennsylvania's uh, governor, Democrat governor, made changes to election law in violation of Pennsylvania state constitution. And then when people say, oh, well, the courts, the Supreme Court wouldn't take it up. Yeah, because no court wants to have a hand in undoing an election that's already been done, even if the rules under which it proceeded were not actually constitutional, were not actually lawful. No, no one's going to. This is what I said to you all along about the election aftermath. I kept telling you, you're not going to find a court, including the Supreme Court, that's going to want to say, yeah, I know people voted. They thought that this was legitimate. And this is what. But, you know, it turns out we got to throw out all these votes because the state, you know, if the state says these are the rules and you vote under those rules. A court is not going to come in and say, well, the state was wrong in telling you those were the rules. So we're going to undo the election. That was a fundamental issue in Pennsylvania. And that's what we're trying to prevent going forward. But Democrats don't want to prevent that. They want to continue with the shortcomings in legal protections for voter integrity. Poso time now, everyone. Our friend from One American News Network, Jack Posobiec, who always has his finger on the pulse. Jack, great to have you back. Buck, it's great to be here, my friend. So I've been talking to the audience uh, recently about this Story in Alaska where a woman who was present on the January 6th uh, protest day and the day when there was the riot at Capitol Hill never went in the building, didn't do anything, was just there in D.C., had six or seven FBI agents, guns drawn, shown up, uh, showed up at her home in Alaska. Her and her husband held them for three hours, questioned them, interrogated them as though they were insurrectionists. Uh, and you have some updates for us on this story. I wanted everybody to hear. So tell us what's going on. Right, Buck. So the new update is that the search warrant itself has been unsealed. I've obtained a copy of it. I've gone through this thing extensively at length. I've looked at the pictures that they're showing. Again, the pictures of the woman that they identify who's in this uh, surveillance video, I guess, and some of it is, is uh, social media posts. It, it, you know, she has that similar hairstyle and I guess a similar jacket to the woman in question. And that's where the similarities end, right? Their scarves don't match. One has earrings, one doesn't. One's wearing a mask, one doesn't. Um, one's wearing a different blouse than the other, unless you change your blouse in the middle of a, of a protest and put on earrings and everything else. But, you know, clearly we don't think that's going on. But what was so interesting to me, Buck, was how the FBI first came to the attention of this person, how they first were able to identify her. This was not through FBI analysis. This was not through facial recognition, as many people have suggested, going through, you know, potentially uh, driver's license databases. No, no. It had to do with an Alaska Airlines mask dispute with a crew member who apparently threw her off an airplane due to a mask dispute. And then about a week later, it's suggested in the search warrant that that crew member or someone associated with this incident went to the FBI and said, I think this is the woman in one of your most wanted pictures. Wow, (laughs) that's oh, man, that's that's amazing, you know, because I'll tell you, Jack, having flown a lot over the last year, I should say, relatively speaking, I've probably been on, you know, a dozen or so flights, maybe more uh, last year. There is there is no one who is more uh, more authoritarian 
and really totalitarian about mass compliance than airline attendants. Airline attendants are the mask Stasi. <laughs> I don't know if you've experienced this yourself. But- oh, I've, I've flown. I mean, I was covering, you know, the Trump rallies last year and I went out to Chaz in Seattle. I, I flew I flew easily two dozen times last year. And it's been, you know, you and it, they run a gamut, you know, they, they run a gamut from like, you know, make sure it's covering your nose, make sure it's covering your nose to, you know, you could be scratching your face and they're on top of you. Oh, yeah, no, they, they have it's completely arbitrary. And they actually in my most recent flight, I think it was. Oh, yeah, it was JetBlue, which I, I actually despise JetBlue as an airline. But that's a whole other thing. I was on JetBlue and and they they said that you you are supposed to only eat for a reasonable period of time and mask up between bites. So I just want to that's that's now policy period of time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm eating an apple, is that longer than if I'm or, or less Less time than if I'm having, you know, the filet of salmon or something. Not that you want to have that on a flight, but you know what I mean. Well, let me tell you, my my three year old, when he's going through, you know, a little container of uh, of Cheerios, he could take an hour to get through that thing. How how, by the way, you you know, you're a dad, you got young, you got a young, young children. How does your three year old with the mask? How how is that? I mean, how do you explain that? Oh, he won't do it. We tried, I think, once to just put it on him because we were flying. We were flying to Florida. And we, 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 you know, just to, to show, hey, we're making an effort. I think we did it as we were boarding. Uh, I was with, we were with the grandparents and all. Uh, I, was, I brought everybody down. This is the first CPAC, actually. And, um, and I think he maybe wore it for all of 10 seconds before he tore it off his face. He's a toddler, right? You, you can't control them with stuff like that. Unbelievable. We're speaking to Jack Posobiec of One America News Network. And, and Jack, you also have a, an update for us on, well, it's it's a news story, and I know you're following it very closely. The possibility of there being another trial for Derek Chauvin. Tell us, tell us everything we need to know about that right now. Well, this has been huge, Buck. And the fact of the matter is that we have now identified. Really, we've had one of these jurors self-identify. So all the while, while this case was going on, I was coming on here and we were doing updates of the trial. We never knew the identities of the jurors other than their juror numbers. And so at one juror in particular, but who we previously heretofore knew as juror 52, has now come forward and has identified himself as a man by the name of Brandon Mitchell. This is very important because then we, he was coming out and saying that people need to get on juries and get in these rooms to, and these are his words, to spark change. He said, get on juries to spark change. And that sounded very interesting to me because my entire life I was told that the purpose of a jury was to weigh evidence and then learn about what the law is and the stature and see, measure really, if that activity or that evidence meets the standard of law, right? And if you're going to use the power of the state against them, right? That's the point of jury. If you watch 12 Angry Men, you know, Henry Fonda, all that. So I went to this juror's Facebook page and found a post that he had had up. I think his uncle had posted it and he had sort of reshared it from August of 2020, where he had attended a George Floyd protest here in Washington, D.C., where George Floyd's family spoke. It was headlined by Al Sharpton, and he himself is wearing a T-shirt with the slogan emblazoned on it saying, get your knees off our necks. This is a juror, again, in 
the trial. He did not disclose that to the lawyers, as he was told. He did not disclose it to the court as he was asked in the questionnaire, did you attend any protests against police brutality, right? He said, according to local CBS reporting, he said in that questionnaire that he didn't attend any. So this now has become a case of a stealth juror. And a stealth juror means when somebody gets onto a jury, when they already have a predisposed notion, a bias, a prejudice of a way they want the trial to go, and then use that bias to get in. And remember, Buck, this isn't about necessarily Derek Chauvin doing the right thing. Is he guilty? Is he innocent, etc.? This is about the Sixth Amendment right in the Bill of Rights that says you and every other American citizen has the right to an impartial jury and a fair trial. Speaking of Jack Posobiec of One America News Network, you know, Jack, you've done a lot of reporting from some places that have been overrun with anti-police, woke madness and, and you know, the, where BLM, the BLM movement has resulted in riots. Uh, it, it, what are we expecting for this summer? I mean, under this Biden administration, are things just likely to be quieter? Uh, you know, it, it felt like everybody was prepared after the Chauvin uh, or, or during the Chauvin trial for there to be a possibility of a huge conflagration. That did not happen, thankfully. Uh, but are, are you seeing the the likelihood or the, the high, a high possibility of a mobilization of some of those same forces of destruction from the left under the banner of BLM and Antifa going into this summer? Or do we just not know? Where where are we? Well, Buck, I think, I think we're seeing them itching for this, right? I, I think we're seeing them itching for it. They are looking for any excuse possible to get out there in the streets to be smashing windows to be accosting people in crowds we just saw in louisville where someone actually had to they he had a gun pointed at him he was sitting at a diner sitting eating outside he had a gun pulled on him by a mob and he then drew his own gun right this this guy who was just eating dinner with his family um you saw how they were attempting to use the case of Makia bryant someone who was about to stab someone potentially to death Right. And then a police officer took action to save lives. Uh, and they were trying to use people with a, platforms as large as LeBron James were trying to go after this police officer and turn it into something it wasn't. And so, Buck, I really think these guys are itching for it. We haven't seen any appetite for, you know, I mean, look at it. Right. You on one hand, you've got the Biden administration going after people based on, you know, essentially getting swatted by an Alaska Airlines you know, crew member, it seems, over not wearing a mask, and then you get raided by the FBI. But if you're a member of Antifa, or if you're a violent rioter or looter, they are giving you a free pass, or in the city of Portland, they're dropping the charges. We're speaking to Jack Posobiec of One America News. And Jack, I, I do have to ask you before we let you go, uh, the CIA recruit. Now, you can make Jack is from the intelligence community, as I am. Uh -huh. But this one, this one falls on my old home team at the CIA. I'm sure you saw this uh, recruitment video where the woman says that she is a cisgender millennial who no longer suffers from anxiety from from imposter syndrome, but has a clinical anxiety disorder that, you know, talk about TMI. Uh, but I, I just I'm wondering what your take is on wokeism on the on the Marxist ethos and its infiltration throughout the intelligence community more broadly as somebody who comes at the IC from a different agency. 
formally. Well, Buck, I mean, come on. Are we really surprised that the CIA is recruiting narcissists, Marxists, communists, defeats nope. from the Ivy League? I mean, that's not what a, they've been doing all along. Not right? even a little bit. I know. <laughs> it's a real shame. <laughs> I mean, but how bad is it going to get, man? It feels to me like these agencies are undermining not only their ability to recruit patriotic Americans, but how seriously can we take the mission? Look, they, they're taking the mission instead of going at, you know what I didn't hear in that, that uh, advertisement, just to, to be serious for a second, you didn't hear them saying anything about defending the United States of America against foreign adversaries. Right. You didn't hear anything about protecting our country or protecting our country's interests with the people of this country. No, you heard about people self-actualizing themselves. I mean, it, it felt like I was watching some kind of like uh, it was like an e-harmony video or some kind of therapy video. So this is a CIA recruitment. You know, I remember when the CIA was going up against the Soviet Union and sending people to the desert of Afghanistan to fight against the commies. You know, what, what the heck is this? Or, or, you know, fighting terrorists in the Middle East recruiting sources you know now we're gonna now we're going to go after domestic enemies because they're ideological enemies of this new administration and this new regime that's being imposed well i really worry about that i think we're already seeing this that while we can point at the silliness of the woke recruiting video the critical race theory and the the marxist identity politics indoctrination isn't just present in these institutions in an HR sense. They're also filtering into and, and maybe even now directing a lot of the, the mission and the resources. I mean, if you ask, if you listen to the Biden administration, they say the biggest security threat we face is not China. It's not terrorism. It's not Russia. It is domestic white nationalist terrorism. That's the biggest Look, when concern. You, when you define your political enemies through the imprimatur of national security concern, what that's done in the post 9-11 era, when you label something as a national security threat, that enables you, number one, to completely freeze the debate on it, right? There's no debate that's allowed when something's declared a national security threat. This is the same thing that went on during Russiagate. Uh, what it also does is allow the U.S. government and the IC, you understand this as well as I, Title 10, Title 50 funds to be used in operations in furtherance of that threat or in furtherance of combating that threat, they would say. Jack Posobiec of One America News Network. Go check out his latest there. Also, follow the man on social media at Jack Poso, B-I-E-C at the end, Posobiec. Jack, great to have you, my man. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Buck. Appreciate it. And with regard to the September, yes, I expect all schools to be open full time in person for all students. We really need to make sure students have an opportunity to learn into in the classroom. And quite frankly, I'd rather have it this spring. Uh, students don't learn as well remotely. Um, there is no substitute for in-person learning. And I'm pleased, as you mentioned, you know, we have 54 uh, percent of our uh, K, K through eight schools in full time every day. Ninety percent, about 90 percent are offering in-person learning for students. But until we're at 100 percent, we must keep our foot on the gas pedal. I don't think you're going to be at 100 percent schools in-person learning this fall. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That was the education secretary of the Biden administration, Cardona. And look, there's nothing to celebrate here. There's only things to be upset about, as in schools never, and I emphasize this, never should have been closed for in-person learning. 
teachers should have been classified as essential workers. You either show up or you find another job. That is what happened to millions and millions of other people across the country who work in grocery stores, who work in pharmacies, who work in healthcare. Teachers should have been told, show up. And if you're if you have comorbidities or you're, you know, you're a 70 year old teacher, not a lot of those running around. But if you have a you know teacher who's who's above, you know, the the high risk threshold. OK, then you make accommodations a lot. Of the, but if you're if you're a 25 year old teaching third grade, you should have just been going in and doing your job all along. And it, they never should have closed these schools. It never should have been allowed to happen. And it's it's shameful, absolutely shameful that there has been so much uh, disinformation about this and, and that the teachers unions have really uh, gotten away, gotten away with this so far. I mean, some people have figured out what's going on here. Some people understand the real problems. But uh, overall, I'd say the teachers unions have gotten not nearly enough of the scorn that they should for all of this. The teachers unions should be uh, universally reviled for what they've done as a result of all this. Oh, but speaking of uh, avoiding avoiding accountability, who is the the number one? Who who is the single greatest avoider of accountability out there right now? So far, you've got to say it is the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo of New York. He does a great job, even when he does a terrible job. He's amazing, but he's actually horrible. And this is what we learn. This is what we know. Here he is. Play 11. You have said that the reason why you did not provide the data was because you feared that data would be used politically against you. So no. did, you, did no. you also? Don't tell me what I said. Okay. The uh, Republicans politicized an order that a health order uh, that was put out by the State Department of Health on March 25th, which was, from a medical point of view, smart. Uh, they wanted to blame nursing home deaths on that order. They then wanted to blame uh, a report that clearly said how COVID got into nursing homes had nothing to do with March 25th. They have taken every attempt to politicize it and blame democratic states. Uh, they then not only politicized it, they tried to criminalize it. And the president refers, has the Department of Justice started an investigation against those democratic states. How frightening is that? Not only do you politicize health decisions, you try to criminalize health decisions. That's not the United States of America. He's a victim, you see. Yeah, that's right. Governor Cuomo, his own party even knows this guy's way out of line, but he's a victim. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Time for Roll Call, Team Buck. Let's get right to it. But first, I have a question for Producer Mark. Producer Mark, I saw this because I was doing my news reading this morning uh, to, to prepare for the show, and there was a Rangers hockey game, mm -hmm. and everybody just started punching everybody in the face. What the heck is going on? Yeah, I figured you would see that somehow. Uh, it's a, a very long story, what's going on with the Rangers. They're making national headlines lately. 
Um, I'll try to give the Spark Notes version. There's a player on the Capitals named uh, Tom Wilson who has a history of being the dirtiest player in the NHL. He, I don't know if he's necessarily intending, but he almost injures players all the time. He's dirty. He gets suspended constantly. He just got suspended this season for eight games, and in a 56-game season, that's uh, a lot of games. Uh, so the other day, I believe it was Monday, there was a scrum in front of the uh, Capitals net. A Ranger player was down, and this Wilson guy took his stick and cross-checked. That's when you hold both hands on the stick, and he slammed it on the, the Rangers player's neck and punched him in the head, and then proceeded to, when the Rangers' best player, Artemi Pernarin, uh, jumped on him to try and get him off, he proceeded to slam Panarin's head into the ice and ragdoll him. When Panarin was not wearing a helmet, uh, the NHL decided not to suspend him. They only fined him $5,000, which is the maximum allowed under the collective bargaining agreement of the NHL. Uh, and the Rangers, uh, I'm sure you know who James Dolan is, their owner. He owns mm-hmm. the Knicks and the Rangers. He led a charge to put out a statement blasting the NHL Department of Player Safety, and now the Rangers just got fined $250,000 by the league for calling the league out for being terrible, and then that was the result. The Rangers had to handle it themselves. There were six fights in the first six minutes of the game, which is an NHL record, because the NHL refused to uh, punish Tom Wilson for being... Words I can't say on the radio. Okay. So now folks know, because it is quite a sight. I mean, the video yeah. is all over all over the internet right now. But how does this, I mean, it almost, like, did, they, did the players, did, they, did the Rangers basically tell the other, or this is the Capitals, right? Is that who yes. they're playing? Washington. Yeah. Did, did the Rangers basically just tell the Capitals, it's on, we're fighting as soon as the things, like, how does that work? It's kind of just understood in a game like that, after an incident like that happens, both players, uh, both teams' fourth lines were on, which is the play, you know, your role players, your guys who aren't playing, you know, you're not your stars, the guys who will fight. Um, and fighting's not a big thing in hockey anymore. That's the thing. You don't see, in the 80s, you saw this all the time. But for this to happen in today's NHL is shocking, and the NHL did it to themselves. They want fighting out of the game, and yet they make bonehead decisions like this to not suspend Wilson for trying to murder a star of the NHL on the ice. And then the Rangers have to take it into their own hands and, and, and fight and do all that stuff. So what then now after the fight, that's like they all skate all. How does that what is what happens? You know what I mean? In terms they of go the, to the penalty box for how long? Five minutes. You get five for fighting. OK, five. So and, then they replace them with other players that aren't. Well, aren't in, in hockey, you're constantly changing. It's not like basketball where you have to substitute a player or, or um, baseball. We have to substitute a player. You can change at any time other than the goalie, really. Okay. Yeah. Right, so at enough. one point there were six players in each penalty box. They were standing. There's some funny, funny pictures of it. It looked like a uh, crowded subway train in the penalty box. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was quite a. So it wasn't unusual. It was quite a sight. I was. Uh, yeah. There was like, for you wasn't to there notice an incident. It? I remember this some years ago where a guy just whacked a player from behind with a stick, and he, the player went down like a, like a sack of potatoes. Oh, yeah. Todd and Bertuzzi. they that. And they were thinking, I mean, because the, the player was really hurt who got hit, and they were thinking about, like, criminal charges for the guy, right? Didn't it get, it got it got really serious. Yeah, it was uh, in Canada. Uh, so, obviously, you know, hockey's a Canadian sport, so they take that stuff very seriously. I believe there were criminal charges pressed against him. I don't believe he was convicted, but they definitely tried. And did he, and he banned from the league, right? He was not banned from the league. He was suspended for, like, two years, though. It was a very oh, okay. long suspension. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's a stick is a weapon. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if you're not playing the game and you're just using the stick to hit somebody, 
you know, anyway, the, I mean, the NHL you, couldn't be, to, you couldn't be on the archery line yeah. at the Olympics and turn around and put an arrow in somebody's butt and be like, hey, it's just archery. Exactly. Or use a bat as a weapon in a baseball game or the helmet. Yeah. We saw that in the in uh, the NFL in the 2019 season. A player used his helmet to hit another player and he got a lengthy suspension as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine. Is, is there one? Is there one person in hockey who is the most reputed fighter, or does that not really exist anymore? I mean, there's right now, no, there's not really a big fighter. I guess Tom Wilson would be it, but he's uh, also a very skilled player. He's just he's dirty. He is by far right now in the NHL the dirtiest player. Uh, all right, well look yeah. at that. I mean, it, it was quite a folks. If you haven't seen it, it's quite a thing. You're, Whoa, these guys are just all all going at it. I don't know. I don't. I don't getting punched in the face doesn't sound like. No. Fun the, to me. The, so the I, NHL has cleaned up their act lately, and occasionally something like this still happens. Uh, you know, they they don't want to be the violent sport anymore. They don't want to be the fighting sport anymore. They want people to watch it for the sport, for the hockey. No, that makes yeah. perfect sense because I, I think it was a legitimate knock on the sport for years. How how interesting can this sport really be for a lot of folks if it requires fighting? You know, any sport would be more interesting with fighting, and then they got rid of it, and then it became a, a more you know, more more about the actual sport itself. But I do remember, I mean, there have been some times wasn't I think it was the the, the Indiana Pacers and with Ron Artest. Oh, and the Pistons and the Pistons yeah. and the audience got involved in the fighting. Remember that? Yeah. Ron Artest ran into the crowd uh, that the, the malice at the palace. That yeah. is one of the most famous moments in NBA history, yeah. That is crazy, crazy stuff. Well, anyway, so producer Mark, I, I knew producer Mark was going to be ready to go yeah. on the uh, hockey fight story. So now that, that is interesting. Now I know the backstory. I can, I'm going to tell my brothers this, and they're going to be like, how do you, what? They always get, like, because my brothers are normal Americans who like professional, both of them, they like professional sports. Um, and so when I say things to them, it's it's like the foreign exchange student who's learned, uh, you know, a new phrase, like, let's all go to the party, you know? Yes, I, I understand. And, and you know nothing about hockey, so it will shock No, me. nothing. Yeah. Abs- absolutely nothing. I don't know. I mean, I'm still rooting for Wayne Gretzky. All right, let's get into it. Uh, we got Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to send us Facebook messages. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us, and uh, we'll get right to it with Nick. First up here writes, hey, Buck, I saw you saw the latest New York COVID nonsense. The Yankees and Mets have loosened COVID restrictions. Stadiums have been segregated by vaccinated and non-vaccinated. Vaccinated sections will be at 100% capacity, but still masked. Non-vaccinated will remain at 30% capacity, still masked. Tough choice, but for me, I'd rather pay for one seat and get three than be crammed shoulder to shoulder. Nice job, New York. Once again, proving your incompetence in dealing with COVID. P.S. More Fauci-isms keep me laughing. Shields high. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Uh, Well, you know, so you're going to have... Uh, a a market-based decision to make here. You can pay for a nosebleed seat. By the way, does not actually, the science does not actually say your nose will bleed. Not true. We've done, we've done studies. Uh, you can be in the cheap seats and there is no hematological effect of the altitudinousness of your seat selection. So nosebleed seats, not actually bleeding your nose. Uh, but if you were, if it were me, I would say, yes, I'd rather not have a bunch of barbarous fans around me 
I'd rather have empty seats. So go unvaccinated, even if you're vaccinated. I really that's one thing about when the indoor dining restrictions were going on in New York. Uh, They're basically getting rid of them in a couple of weeks here, except for the six foot rule. The whole thing, it's all so contradictory and idiotic. And I just these people are it's all such bull. But I, I will say that when when you had limited dining options uh, for or limited dining capacity, rather, um, I'd rather be in a restaurant if I have to wear a mask. I'd rather be in a restaurant that's that's 30 percent full than 100 percent full. I don't need all the noise and all the people if I get the full menu and everything. So I can see. Did you know about this, uh, Mark, with the uh, Yankees and Mets, the vaccinated and unvaccinated sections? Uh, yeah, that uh, happened yesterday. I, it's not the Yankees and Mets doing it. Just to clarify, it is Cuomo. It is the government. They ha- they have, you know, they both of right, their... Right, these are government yeah, mandates. Exactly. They yeah, have yeah, to follow yeah. New York restrictions. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, it was, didn't the... Phili- wasn't there something... I, I can't remember now. I also thought about you with this. There's something with Philadelphia fans, sports fans... Did something come up this week with Philadelphia fans doing something crazy? I can't remember uh, now. Just in general, they're terrible. I, I think it was something about like Philly, Philly sports fans, you know, getting some. I think Biden someone was throwing some shade at Philly sports fans. That's all. Yeah, I think I saw a quote from Biden that he was trying to defend Philly sports fans. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. don't isn't it Philadelphia where at the Eagle Stadium they have a court in the in underneath the stadium for all the rowdy jackasses they got to throw in jail i believe every stadium has some sort of jail really yeah, there's a mets jail i've heard of it you yeah. mets producer mark have you ever been to i mets have not jail? been to mets jail <laughs> though i will I, say i could see you intentionally do it just because you so want to see the story yeah just just you'd be like <laughs> i'm a real fan i've been to mets jail i mean i've been in the clubhouse i think that's a little better I guess it's more likely you'd actually go to the Yankees jail for giving them a Bronx cheer and causing problems at their stadium. Oh, I definitely did that when I was a kid. Yeah, that makes sense. Chris writes, hey there, Buck and Mark. I just want to say I fully agree on the Trump 2024 movement. I believe it is an unobtainable win. He already lost to Biden out of all people, even though I do have my own beliefs about the truth of the election. I hope he does still realize that, though, what an important and major piece of the Republican Party he is. And in my hope, he will remain as a key player and pushing majorly for the DeSantis Pompeo ticket, as I believe that would be an extremely strong candidacy ticket. I also add I want to add that I love your very respectful decline of the challenge to not talk about mass during the show, because it is something that I feel very strongly about as well. And I do feel most people don't realize how big of a policy issue it is in this country to demand such a thing from people. Having recently moved from California to the great state of Idaho, I'm very excited to raise my two very young daughters here, and my five-year-old daughter still does have to wear a mask to school every day. So thank you so much for continuing to fight the good fight. Shields high. Uh, well, Chris, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, and uh, great to hear from you in Ohio, in, uh, Idaho. rather. Um, I love Idaho. I went out there a few years ago for the state GOP convention. I gave an address and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a great state. Uh, as, as for I, I think part of the issue here is that there are a lot of folks who live in parts of the country. There's the, the when it comes to masks, there's the mandate and then there's the social pressure component. And the mandate is annoying, but the social pressure component on top of it makes it much, much worse. You know, there are some places in the country like in Florida, for example, there are there are spots in Florida. I know where people don't really don't really care so if you walk into say a grocery store even if there's 
technically a city requirement to wear a mask in that grocery store. Maybe a clerk will come over and say, hey, look, I know it's I know it's not a big deal or whatever, but like I just I don't want to, you know, people are going to complain. Do you mind just for me? I know it's stupid. You know, there's that attitude about it. In New York, people come up to you in your face. What are you doing? You're putting lives at risk. Put that mask back on. That's what you'll get. 99 times out of 100 if you walk into a store here without a mask on. So it's about much more than just the rule. It's about the social enforcement of the rule by the general population. And so if you live in, let's say, Texas, other than Austin, there are mask maniacs in Austin. But if you live in Texas, I'm assuming probably in Dallas. Yeah, they'll say mask, but they get it right. It's like. We're kind of going through the motions in this store. We're sorry. And maybe they let you let it slide. I mean, I almost want to do it as, a, as an experiment just to show you guys in New York, in Washington, D.C., you know, places where I've been during the pandemic. You you walk around if you walk around outside without a mask until recently, they thought you were crazy and you were putting people. They think you're putting. I know it's hard. To even, they really believe the Fauciates really believe You are putting lives at risk. You know, it's like you're walking around with a gasoline canister in one hand and uh, a blowtorch in the other and spinning in circles. That's how they react to you pulling your mask down for a minute in the Costco. So for those of you who said, Buck, why are you so focused on this? You may not have experienced this mass hysteria because of where you live in the country, but I'm telling you, more than half the country has had to deal with this in a way that's really egregious and enraging and upsetting. So I so so I, I get for some of you, you live in red places in red states. You go, oh, Buck, come on, the mask. No, it's a very big deal in name a city, name a city. It's a very big deal without exception. I mean, a big city, not like 100,000 people. All right, continuing on with roll call, we've got Richard Buck. Happy Hoosier hellos. We should all have a Coke tea party. Whoa, that sounds like quite a party. We should record ourselves opening a Coke or Coke products. Ah, okay, different Coke. And dump them down the drain and hashtag Coke to their Twitter. I dump out my Coke while I hold my shield high. Richard, I, I I just think, I just think Coke is not good. Maybe I've just become, if I was going to drink soda, which I've already told you, is just liquid candy, which is fine. I like candy sometimes, but if we're really talking about this, you know, drink Coke if you want to drink sugar, which is what you're doing. Producer Mark, where are you on Coke uh, of the sodas? I prefer Pepsi. Oh, you're a Pepsi guy. I would be willing to bet that there's a correlation between the people who are New York sports fans I think if you're a Mets fan, you like Pepsi. If you're a Yankees fan, you like Coke. I bet there's a I bet there's a correlation. Well, actually, City Field a couple of years ago, they used to have the Pepsi porch in right field. Then they changed it to the Coca-Cola corner. So yeah, yeah. but I'd still bet you that the, the Mets fans tend to be Pepsi fans. I bet you also Mets fans are Jets fans instead of Giants fans. Yes, typically it's Mets, Jets, Islanders, Nets, and Yankees, Giants. Rangers, Knicks. I'm I'm mm. weird though. Look at you with your heterodox sports loyalty. 
I, I don't know the words that just came out of your mouth. Yeah, all good. Yeah. James, Buck, Mark, team, I've heard you say how much you enjoy Nashville and plan to return. While you're there, try to get down to Broadway and either Tootsie's or Kid Rock's and catch John Stone and his band. Certainly one of the best on Broadway. So while passing the buck, get Stone too. James, I'm looking forward to being in Nashville soon, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I want to go check it out again. I really thought it was a great town. And, you know, that would be a great place to sort of set up shop for Republicans in general and make make Nashville red again. You know, make Nashville a Republican city right now. It's blue. It's run by the libs like all these other cities. I don't know what it's going to take, folks. We got to turn one red and show that we can make it work and show that it's a better place to be. That's going to be the show for today, my friends. Back with you tomorrow. Same time and place. Until then, we've all got our orders. Shields high.